Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. Hi, everybody. Happy snow day yet again. It snowed again. Not that it means anything anymore because we're all working from home anyhow, right? Most of us. This was the perfect snow day. The perfect snow day because I looked out and the sun has melted everything off the driveway and the steps. So I don't have to do any shoveling this time. So I, I will admit this now, but I just returned from being hiding in the south for a month. Um, and we didn't take any of our cars because we had a friend drive us and take bring us back from the airport. And all of our cars are covered in like five inches of ice. So it was a little intimidating getting home yesterday with the heat set on like 50 and all the cars like covered. And I almost just wanted to turn around and go back to the airport. I don't blame you. Well, we're happy to have you back. Yeah, because you can tell the only thing that's changed in my life is the background. It is. The background is different. It looks a little less Florida-y. Yeah, yeah. it's not as and Charleston-y. I was in Charleston as well. Yeah. Um, just fun, which is good. So so let's get this show on the road, shall we? Let's get this game started. There's an analogy based on what we're going to talk about today. Play ball. Play ball. So with us today on the controls is number 47, Bill Sutton. <laughs> Yay. Bill Sutton, Sutton, Sutton. Hi, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And we also have with us Catherine G. Manu. Hey, Georgie. Hey, Annette. I'm Catherine Manu, sometimes known as Georgie, and I am the co-publisher of the Express News Group. And we have Joe Shaw, big sports fan. Hi, I'm, I'm Joe Shaw, also known as the Sultan of SWAT. Uh, That's what they used to call Babe Ruth. I just, you're no Babe Ruth, no. I'm the executive editor of the Express News. Boy, that did not work at all. I thought I would make you guys laugh with that. You see those blank stares? Just blank <laughs> stares. So my name is Annette Hinkle. I'm the Arts and Living Editor. And also sitting in with us today are two of our industrious sports writers, we have Kaylin Riley. And Kaylin, you used to be the sports editor at the Southampton Press. I was for a very long time. Now I am, to borrow a sports phrase, the Southampton Press free agent slash utility player. Utility player, I like that. Because I write about a whole lot of a whole lot of different stuff. So everyone wants me in their dugout. <laughs> and we have Desiree Keegan. Desiree is also writing sports for us as well. Hi, Desiree. Hey, how are you? And she's likewise a, uh, a uh, switch hitter. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, report, education, sports, also the subscriptions manager, so. Oh, you're doing that as well. Oh, so yeah. that good. sorry about that. I used to have to do that at the Express. It's a big <laughs> No offense to the men present, but I definitely um, like the all-female sports vibe. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's uh, it's awesome. I love it too. Can I also say, and and you can decide whether you want to keep this in or not, but everybody wants me in their dugout. Sounds like a Cardi B lyric. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, that went anyway. over a lot better than the other joint. Little Sultan's a SWAT thing fell so flat. I had to have something. I just want to state for the record that it absolutely does not have a double Cardi B S meaning. <laughs> Please make that clear. Wow, we're off to a good start here, aren't we? Yeah. Okay, I think should we just put in like a pregnant pause here? So we... <laughs> in other news. <laughs> so no, seriously, in other news. So this is kind of a, an interesting topic. You know, COVID-19 has dominated the school year since last March when all the kids were sent home around spring break and never went back for in-person classes. And then ever since the fall semester started, a lot of schools have been sort of juggling whether to have their kids in person for classes or doing remote learning or a combination of two. But one thing we haven't talked much about is how they're dealing with the sports aspect in school. And um, interestingly enough, on February 1st, Suffolk County 
allowed pyrus sports to resume through, throughout the county. I think specifically winter sports, wrestling and basketball. Um, but they left it up to the individual school districts to decide if they wanted to participate. And on January 25th, Sag Harbor's um, superintendents of schools, Jeff Nichols, recommended against the players at Pearson joining in the high school sports schedule, which really sent a lot of parents and a lot of kids into a tailspin and they were vehemently against it and they um there was a walkout by some of the pearson students and the parents really want their children to play and there was even um i think a petition and all of that so um so it turns out that pearson was like the first school in the county to really say though our kids aren't playing and jeff nichols took a lot of heat for that but it would so i thought it would be interesting to talk about you know the unpopularity of his decision and sort of what's happened since he made that announcement and how things have changed in terms of um the way that sports is playing out pun intended in these um these high-risk sports Kaylin has, as we previously mentioned, kind of a utility player for us. She's been doing um, a lot of sports writing, but she's also been doing a lot of feature news and started covering the Sag Harbor School District specifically um, a couple of months ago. So she was right there when Jeff made this announcement, which I do want to note was supported fully by that Board of Education, including a member named Sandy Cruel who has been with the Hamptons Collegiate Baseball Association for some time is like a sports mom um, and would have been one of the first people that you would have thought would have been like, no way, our kids need to play sports. And she fully supported that decision. So I just want to toss that in there before I kick it over to Kaylin. Yeah, I mean, you could in the Zoom meeting, the Board of Ed meeting on the 25th, when Jeff made that recommendation and the board members spoke, um, you could like visibly see that, that it pained her to say that she, she agreed with Jeff. She said it was even more of like a heart-wrenching decision than whether or not to open schools for her personally. So you could definitely feel that. And other members expressed it as well. But yes, I think that what made this decision stick really was not just that Jeff was so adamant about it, but that he had the full support of the board as well. There was never a point in time where I really thought he was going to change his mind, but he did come under a lot of pressure because he really became the only, the only school in Suffolk County that made that decision. And um, I mean, East Hampton High School chose to do basketball, but not wrestling. But, and there, I think like some schools up the, uh, in Nassau County, Great Neck and Manhasset, have asked their students to who play high risk sports to engage in fully remote learning while they're playing. But he was really the one who made um, who made that choice. And he even at the most recent board meeting, you know, someone's brought that up as a possible solution. And he he had a pretty good because I thought to myself, yeah, why can't they just do that? But he had a pretty good response to that. He basically said, you know, I don't think the philosophy of that is great. Like we're a school, we're supposed to keep these children safe, that's our job. And, and and there's also a role to be played for the larger community. Like the school has a responsibility to the community at large to keep it safe as well. And when you tell ch children they have to engage in fully remote learning, it's sort of an admission that they're at risk. And it's not great for a school to knowingly put their children in a situation when they're at risk. We're talking about just the high risk sports though. I mean, most of the districts had done, I'm doing air quotes that, that people can't see, but have been doing low risk sports track and, and some other sports for, for over a month, right? Yes. So like indoor um, track is usually indoors in the winter, although they do frequently practice outside. They made a change to um, do the season completely outdoors. And then with swimming, that was deemed um, low or moderate risk because even though they are indoors, there's, I guess, studies show that COVID doesn't really spread in water and they're in their separate lanes. So there's social distancing that's possible to happen in that sport. And then bowling as well. Um, but yeah, basketball and wrestling, it's very tough to comply with the mitigation strategies that keep COVID from spreading. Um, but here we are, there's, there's, everyone is engaging in these sports, but I'll turn it over to Desiree if you guys want, cause she can tell you a little bit about how that is off to a pretty shaky kind of start. <laughs> yeah. So 
obviously there are a ton of school districts across the island that are already running into issues with their basketball and wrestling teams and have had to essentially shut down. A lot of schools have already had problems with their teams. um, And basically what ends up happening is they have to quarantine the teams for 10 days and then they have to do contact tracing and anyone else that um, has come into contact with them obviously has to quarantine too. What the issue now is also um, the other issue that's now happening, which I just found out about today, is that some teams are not following Suffolk County's rules of getting tested before games. And there has been an issue now where um, a team did not test their players before competition. And now both teams have had to quarantine and they end up missing their games. Section 11 will have to reschedule um, those games and figure out a way to kind of work in a season for them. So and it's a very short season to begin with. So losing losing 10 days or two weeks. Is, is just- yeah, I mean, you're basically losing the whole season essentially, so. And just to clarify, Desiree, when you say they've the two teams have had to quarantine, that's not necessarily because they were infected. It's just because they don't know because they didn't have the test, correct? Yes. Well, Okay. yeah. And um, I mean, I've, I've been told by a source that um, there is po- the possibility that a couple of students were infected. Mm. So it could oh, be that goodness. there was a spread. Oh, wow. So. Oh, boy. Yeah. And just to be clear, Desiree, um, can you just walk us through what the Suffolk County guidelines were for the high-risk sports, um, kind of what they've asked these school districts and athletic teams to comply with? Yeah, sure. So there's um, a bunch of different things, but some of the main points are that they have to fill out those, you know, health questionnaires before every practice and every game, um, you know, kind of stating how they're feeling. If they have a temperature, they take temperatures before every game and before every practice. And then they also have to take COVID tests before games to make sure that everyone is negative before obviously coming in contact with other kids. And then the last thing that the county kind of added on was this sort of pledge where they ask students to, you know, verbally say that they are going to follow all social distancing, mask wearing guidelines, washing their hands, just kind of being a good citizen in this way and doing everything outside of sports, not just when they're, you know, in games and at practice to ensure that they're, you know, taking all the necessary safety precautions to not contract or spread COVID. And Desiree, when we talk about all of these teams being quarantined, and you know, I would love to know if we, if we have the data, how many teams currently um, from these high-risk sports are quarantined. I, I feel like the last number I heard was like 16 or 17. Yeah, 16 was the last number that I heard. I'm not sure if it's changed since then. I would, I would highly, yeah, I would, I would think. You would expect that that's changed. <laughs> Yeah, that is definitely, especially especially after hearing the news that broke uh, this morning. I mean, obviously that 16 was the last I heard from yesterday. So already I know that it's up from there. And we're recording this on Thursday for, for the listeners, just so they have a sense mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. And this and this season started when? February 1st? Like how long did it take for this to sort of devolve into this problem? So the issue was that it was supposed to start back in the beginning of the month, but because of the snow, games were delayed. You also needed to have a mandatory uh, six practices before you could start competing. So these games literally just started. Um, the ninth was when was when all teams started competing because that was when they finally met that six games for anybody who either um, had practiced on the Tuesday or Wednesday after that really big snow dump on Monday. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at now. This is very, very early and this is already up to this number. I can't imagine that this is really going to work out very well for most schools. So So February 9th was two days ago and already we're nearing almost half of the teams not being able to compete because they're in quarantine. Yeah. The one team that wasn't following the rules allegedly, we'll say allegedly at this point. Do we know if that was if that was the the students, the staff, the coaches, 
we have any any indication of that? Because I'm just thinking of those the kids in, in Sag Harbor that would practically give a left arm to be able to play sports and, and right now and, and certainly would have been following every rule possible. And this is almost like a slap in the face to those kids yeah. that if, if there was a, a team that, that just disregarded those rules, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. So the, the last thing I heard was that it, it seemed like it was the um, athletic director or the administrators that didn't do what was supposed to be done and get the kids tested. So yeah, so it's the school's responsibility to make sure these kids are being tested. I, I don't, you know, like, I don't think that, I think, I think the kids, I don't see how a kid would not submit, not want to get a test. And I don't think they're expecting these kids to like, like submit it on their own. Like if you don't go get a test, like, and, and the school doesn't figure that out or doesn't deal with it, like that's the school's responsibility to make sure these kids are all getting tested. So if someone's not been tested, like that's, that falls on the adults, especially the athletic directors. So Desiree, this week, obviously, basketball play began in whatever limited capacity it could with all of these teams being quarantined. You've had a chance to cover a few games. What are you seeing at the games in terms of how students are behaving, people in the stands? What are you seeing in that environment? Yeah, so I can walk you through everything that happened, me entering the building and everything. So um, the doors were locked and I had to wait for a security guard to obviously ask me why I was at the school and let them know I have a section 11 press pass. I enter into the building and there was a stand for me to take my temperature at. Um, So once they give me the go ahead that I'm okay to enter into the gym, they walk me in there and completely empty besides the two teams, the coaches, the refs, um, the person who's scorekeeping and the person who's controlling the scoreboard. That's the only people that are allowed in there. And then they have a security guard who's just obviously monitoring to make sure that there are no students that try to enter. Um, I would say the the other team's JV team was in the stands. And then after a little while, the home team's JV team entered as well because they're going to be playing next. So they were allowed in the stands. But other than that, there was nobody else except media. Um, And so the... Setup definitely was a little weird. It looks a little different. Obviously, it was very quiet. Um, And one thing that I noticed right off the bat when I was looking at the team was that instead of them standing and having their chairs lined up in a row the way they typically would during a game, they were all spaced out and there were different rows created and everyone was like every other chair sort of a thing. Um, So it was a little weird because they're all kind of like trying to talk to each other, but no one's really near each other when they were huddling up Um, before the game. Everyone just kind of like stood up out of their chair and like gave their usual, you know, chants and cheers and whatever. Um, So again, the atmosphere was a little, little weird, a little different um, to start. And one thing that I did notice was that once the game started, the starting players on the other team weren't wearing masks and the home team was wearing their masks. And after about a few minutes, none of the girls had masks on the entire game. So that just shows you how easily, um, you know, COVID can spread if it turns out that either a test doesn't pick up that someone is positive yet or a test isn't administered to that student for whatever reason, whether they were missed or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, we're asymptomatic, you know. Yeah, I mean, these, these players are all over each other. So, are they expected to play with masks on? Is that part of the suggestion? So it's yes, it's it's said that they're supposed to be wearing them at all times while they're on the sidelines. And then when they're in play, they have the option whether or not to wear the mask. So it could be, you know, whether they're uncomfortable or have a medical reason why. Um, that's that's kind of the way it stands right now, at least. I have a question for, for Kaylin and for Desiree, and it's kind of threefold. It, it's really just about the kids and whether you've had a chance to talk with players and kids that are actually participating in these quote unquote high risk sports. And it's, it's, it's a combination of things. Kaylin, I know 
the, the kids have been really passionate at Pearson about wanting to play these sports. So it's partly that question, but it's also about, so have you talked with kids about whether this experience of playing without a crowd is satisfying? Are they still, are they still satisfied with playing? And I'm also wondered about how worried they are about getting sick under these circumstances. I'm just, I, I'm wondering if you guys have had a chance to have those kind of conversations with kids in a situation where you don't really have a lot of access to kids, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, with the with the players that I've talked to so far after games, I mean, they're all thrilled to have the opportunity to be out there, especially talking to some seniors. This, you know, was their last chance to be out on the court again, playing a basketball game. Um, you know, a lot of these kids aren't going on to play in college and stuff and want kind of that bookend to their career. So I will say that the players that I've spoken to have been more than happy and are not exactly nervous. They're, they're more so just willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to wear their masks. They're willing to get the test. They're willing to fill out these forms before every practice and before every game, because they just want to be out there. And Kaylin, that's definitely true at Pearson. Yeah. So I have talked to a decent amount of kids. Um, one that sticks in my mind. I spoke to her a while ago before high risk. I think I wrote a story about like how it was probably unlikely that these sports were going to come back and lo and behold, they did. But I spoke to Idana Poppy, who is on the West Hampton Beach girls basketball team. And so she told me about how last year they had won the county championship. And the day before they were supposed to play for the Long Island championship, their athletic director, Kathy Masterson, walked into the gym and said, you can't play tomorrow. And that was when schools shut down in March. So they did not get to play their Long Island championship game. This is her senior year. So, you know, and she told me that experience was terrible. They all just immediately started crying like that their season was over. So, you know, they're back out there now. And I remember when I interviewed her before she thought that sports were going to come back, she said to me, you know, like me and my friends text each other, their junior prom got canceled last year. We were texting each other. Do you think we'll have senior prom this year? You know, so here's a kid who, and, you know, again, listen, people are suffering in ways that are worse than this, but, you know, when you're in that world and you're an athlete and you're a senior and you're missing out on these like major milestones in your life, it is very painful. So I think I agree with Desiree. Like, I don't think that these kids are, I don't think they care at all that there's not spectators there. And I don't, I mean, like, would they like them to be there? Sure. But I don't think that that's something they're going to dwell on for very long. And I also think that they're just so thrilled to get out there again. This is like, they all talk about their mental health, right? Like these kids are suffering with their mental health. And especially for the kids who are athletes, playing sports is really important to them. So I think that that's, I think that that in their minds supersedes any kind of fear they have of getting ill. And I, you know, they're young. When you're young, you don't generally worry a whole lot about your like physical well-being. So I don't think that they aren't, I don't think that they think the virus isn't real and I don't think they're being cavalier. I just think it's like their brains just don't go there when it comes to worrying about themselves like getting sick or, or dying. But you know what? That might be different for some of the kids who maybe have a compromised family member. I don't know, but they are all just so desperate for something other than sitting behind their computer at home and not being able to do anything that I think they're just thrilled to be out there. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Are we surprised that Balone allowed the sports to go forward? I'm just wondering you know, what the politics of that were. It just seems like it, it just seems like it was an odd call given that the numbers of infections seem to be going up in the county. And I wonder, you know, was this a political pressure thing? Was he getting a lot of grief from school boards or just wondered if we know anything about why 
he thought it was okay to have these sports go back in. It started on the state level. It started with the governor. I mean, so the governor came forward and finally said, okay, so the individual counties can make these decisions. And then Malone came forward and said, um, yeah, it's okay, but the individual school districts are going to make decisions too. Obviously, there was some kind of political pressure, some kind of pressure, you know, coming down probably from, from different avenues. Personally, I was, I'm, I was very surprised by it. It, it just, it just, it boggles my mind. And I, I hear all the arguments and I see all, I, I see all the different sides, but it, it boggles my mind that, that they would take these risks. I'm probably the one non-sports guy, you know, in, in this conversation. I didn't play high school sports, so maybe I don't get some of it. I understand that in high school age, and I don't, I don't want to diminish their feelings, but so it, it's kind of like this is the most important thing in the world that, that I play sports at that age it feels that way but time will go by we've all made some sacrifices we're all going to continue to make sacrifices and maybe these kids just need to make that sacrifice and I don't mean to sound you know abrupt about it I, I, I understand their feelings but I, I can't imagine rolling around on a wrestling mat and you know sweating each other in, in, in basketball games just doesn't I don't see the law. I don't see any logic in allowing that to happen. Well, to kind of play devil's advocate to that point a little bit, um, I just know that there are obviously a lot of student athletes who this is their maybe lifelong dream. Maybe they yeah. want to be playing at a top college and they want to play pro, um, you know, to kind of take that away for some kids is, is a big deal. There are, um, especially, you know, on Long Island, a lot of kids who do actually go pro or, you know, they rely on that scholarship even um, to get them into the school that they want. So I think that for certain kids, there is a little bit maybe more at stake with not playing. Can I ask, are parents at all divided about this? Oh, I, I think parents are divided. I mean, I think that there are certainly a lot of parents of athletes who are like, no, my kids should be able to play. But yeah. I've heard from parents who are also very, were, or were very much concerned at the idea that these sports were going forward. I mean, and I guess to play devil's advocate to Desiree, which I totally get what she's saying. My husband, the co-publisher of the Express News Group went to Wesleyan University and probably the edge that got him into Wesleyan University, although he is very smart, um, was the fact that he played football and he was recruited by the football team. Um, so like, I get it. And that's a D3 school. And I think in a lot of cases, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about kids that are getting scholarships, not necessarily to D1 schools. They're probably not going pro in their sport, but they are probably looking at least at D2 and D3 schools. And in some cases, yes, they are going to division one universities. Um, but, you know, spring sports are like TikTok right around the corner, these beautiful outdoor spring sports. And, you know, when we talk about this in our household, that's where I find myself going. I'm like softball, baseball, lacrosse, like all of these lovely outdoor sports where, you know, you have so much less of a risk are literally like a month and a half away. Like, can't we just muscle through and get to those safer sports? Well, and, and I'll tell you, those spring sports aren't going to happen, though, if, if these high-risk sports, yeah. if this takes a really bad turn, um, you know, and, and, and has unfortunate results, I think they're going to have to really rethink the whole spring sports thing, too. Maybe I'm wrong. I sort of disagree with that a little bit, only because I feel as though when you're outdoors, it's a game changer. So they, I think because of the way we know COVID spreads mostly through the air. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the article by I think Derek Thompson in the Atlantic about hygiene theater and how mm -hmm. there's a lot, there's still so much of this like sanitizing, wiping everything and the surfaces and COVID doesn't really spread that way predominantly. So I think when you get outdoors, it's a real game changer. Um, I also think regarding what Georgie said, so I do think that that's true, that there's other sports around the corner, but Idana Poppy, who I brought up before is a great example. Basketball's her only sport. So mm -hmm. for the kids, there are tons of kids out there that play multiple sports, but for that kid who's a senior and basketball is their only sport, or someone like Hudson Brindle from 
Pearson, who organized that petition. He's really smart, very bright kid. Tell him about the petition, by the way. That that was a big part of this. Yeah. So Hudson Brindle is a senior at Pearson, and he is on the basketball team. And uh, on January 26th, the day after Mr. Nichols, um, who I still have to call Mr. Nichols because he, I went to Pearson High School. <laughs> hard for me to call him Jeff. But when, when he um, made his decision, Hudson immediately went on change.org, circulated a petition, let us play. He ended up getting, I think, almost 800 or close to 800 signatures on that petition. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and then he organized the walkout. The thing that was beautiful to see about that whole situation is there was a lot of like mutual respect between those kids that really wanted to play and Jeff he complimented them for for you know speaking up so that was really nice to see because that could have gotten ugly and it didn't but um Hudson's another interesting case because he is a three-sport athlete and every sport he plays is classified as high risk so he plays football he plays basketball and he plays lacrosse and so he is facing the reality of a senior year a kid whose life is defined by sports. I mean, he's a smart kid. He's going to Tufts, but like his life is defined by, by sports in terms of his, what he loves. And so he's facing a senior year where he possibly can't play any of those sports. And, you know, kids are kids. Like when I was in high school, if someone had told me I couldn't play field hockey, I would have like sobbed for weeks. Is that ridiculous? Yeah, of course it is. I realize that now because I'm 40, but at that time, that was what my brain was telling me. Like, this is the greatest tragedy in your life. No, that makes perfect sense. And that was kind of my point is, is they, they, you know, these kids see it that way, but there's also lessons to be learned. I, and again, I'm going to sound harsh and I don't mean to sound this harsh, but life is full of disappointments. Yep. And when you're talking about, you know, the health of yourself, your family, your grandparents, your community, um, then, then, you know, if there's some, if there's some disappointment, look, we've all had, we, I say it again, we've, we've all had disappointments yeah. uh, throughout this pandemic. Um, we've all faced some challenges, um, and, and we're going to keep doing that. Life is, is not fair. It's not been fair to any of us and it's not fair to these kids and, you know, and they're going to have to perhaps learn that lesson. Oh, we haven't even talked about the poor theater kids. Exactly. <laughs> who are also hoping to go to college for theater. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to say, I want to put an exclamation point on something Kaylin said. She wrote about it really well this week. But I think what happened at Pearson was really fascinating. And it was terrific the way they turned it into a positive thing, that the kids had a petition. They walked out. The um, Hudson came and spoke. And, and a couple of kids came and spoke to the school board. The school board listened. I think that the Jeff Nichols was respectful of those kids. Those kids were respectful of the, of the process and it turned into a civics lesson of sorts. And, and just because I think one of the lessons and Bill, this goes to your point, it's still a civics lesson when you do all that and you don't change the board's mind, that doesn't mean it's not worthwhile and it doesn't mean it doesn't have an effect. I think it really drove home those kids' positions to all of the adults involved. All of the adults involved had to dig deep and still say, we still think this is the right thing to do. Agree or disagree with either side, I just think everybody was a winner in that. And it's an example of an education system taking a bad situation and turning it into a learning experience. I think the kids have a lot of, of uh, they, they deserve a tip of the hat for, for the way they, they dealt with it. I think the school does, the board does, everybody across the board. It was just a really fine moment, I thought, for Pearson. A really mature moment, too, for a group of high school students who obviously, like you said, are missing this really important moment and so that they were able to kind of tackle it in that respectful way and that there was that discourse was really wonderful to say. Absolutely. And I will say too, jumping off of what, um, you know, Bill said also, um, there are obviously many kids who didn't get a chance to play last year either. There were girls like Belle Smith on the West Hampton 
girls basketball team who also had to sit in that gym and sob with the rest of her teammates about how they just won their first county championship since 2005 and were now told that they couldn't play for that regional championship. And then to find out that she also couldn't play lacrosse for her final season and lacrosse is her sport and it's what she went to college for and it's what she got a scholarship for. And then she couldn't um, have prom and all of these other things that come with your senior year. And when I spoke with her after everything, I mean, she basically said exactly what Bill just said, that this is obviously for, a, there's a greater purpose here in what we're doing. And we're doing this to keep people safe. We're doing this to keep people alive, to keep people healthy. And I think that there are a lot of students who do see it that way too. And those kids that you know graduated last year are the, the perfect example of that. They're, they're out there and it's not that they don't think that there is um, you know, a reason to not play these high risk sports. Um, but I also understand the, them wanting to play. So. so my question is like, are people now looking at Jeff Nichols? Like, yeah, okay, Jeff, you were right about not allowing these sports to go forward. Like what's the, is there a little bit of a mea culpa there, um, because of what's happened so quickly, but these other schools. Obviously Jeff would never wish anything like this to happen, but yeah, I mean, it does, it does make, it make him seem pretty wise in the decision that he made at this point. It's kind of like, he doesn't have to say anything really. And I don't think he would want to, like, it's just in a situation where you want to be able to say, I told you so, you know, like you, <laughs> I don't think he would wish that, but yeah, I, I was frankly sort of surprised. I don't know. It's hard. I mean, Oh, it's just such a hard situation. When you report on this and you speak to people on both sides of it, you do feel like, uh, it's like very, it's really, really tough. I don't know. I want to know another interesting thing one of the kids told me. It's interesting, Desiree, what you told me that Bell said, because I also interviewed Jackson Hulse, who's on West Hampton Beach wrestling team. He's a senior. He has gone to states twice. He's a county champion. Um, He's on the football team too. Yeah. And when I spoke to him, I originally thought that he was going to be more upset. So this was back when I, when we were thinking high risk wasn't going to happen. And I was like, oh, this must be tough for you. Because if he had gone to States for wrestling this year, he would have become the only West Hampton Beach wrestler to ever go to States three years in a row. That's like a history making yeah. situation. And he was like, you know what? It's not that I don't think about that. He's like, I think about my teammates. So he's, he mentioned yeah. uh, teammates of his. And I wrote about them last week in my wrestling story, Grant, Scala, um, oh, there's, there's two more. I can't remember their names right now. Sorry guys, if you're listening, but it's in my article. But anyway, they had gone to counties two years in a row and lost in what's called the blood round, which is if you win in that round, you end up being all county. And that's like for wrestlers to lose in the blood round, super tough. So he was talked immediately about them and how he felt worse for them. So I think some of these kids that have a chance that have already done good things or are the stars of their team or, or are going to college, it's actually ironically not as devastating to them, but for the kids who like are on the cusp. Yeah. yeah, It's in some ways it's harder for them because like they know they're not going anywhere, you know, further. And, and the thing they love about the team isn't just the sport itself. It's just the whole camaraderie and missing mm -hmm. out on that is what's I think really tough. And I know that the kids who are in it now too, even though are missing those things, you know, like I talked to the kids on the swim teams and all they keep saying is we miss having those pasta dinners where we would all just get together, sit at a table and laugh and have a good time. Yeah. It's, it's more about those moments than anything else to these kids. Yes, I agree. A microcosm of what everybody's going through right now. And I mean, it's a microcosm of the larger society trying to figure out, I mean, it, this is all happening in the context of New York City going to start to allow indoor dining again this weekend. It's about trying to move towards a, a normalcy as the numbers are starting to come down again a little bit, but the risk of course being that they go back up. I mean, it in a sense, it really does sort of sum up the larger issue that we're, we're all facing in different ways and these kids aren't immune to it. It's, it's, uh, it's a challenging time. I don't know that there's any right or wrong answers to any of this stuff, which makes it really difficult. It, it, it really does make it hard because it's, it's nice when you can look at a situation and say, well, the school board was wrong. 
and and or you can say well of course the school board was right i i feel like we aren't anywhere near that black and white kind of a situation with this it's a very complicated issue and, and to that point joe you know i think when we first started talking about it a couple of weeks ago when when the decision first came down we referenced back to when they were talking about opening school again in september and said we're going to give it a try. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then, you know, then we'll go back to remote. I think maybe the same attitude with, with these high-risk sports. Well, personally, I, I don't see the logic in it, but I think, you know, the, the attitude was we're going to come up with these rules. We set these rules. We're going to give it a try. We'll see what happens. And that's what they're doing. And I don't know that we want to, you know, put an ax in it yet. I mean, you've got a lot of teams quarantine right now, but you know, a lot of teams may still pull out a successful season and have given it a try and have taken those safety measures and protected themselves and can have a good season and move on to the next spring season. So my point is there's something to be said for giving it a try. I will say every athletic director that I spoke to, that's all they said is we just want a chance to give our kids this opportunity and yeah. We just want to see how it goes. And I will say, too, that looking at, I don't know if anyone um, is a big NFL fan here, but there were, I think it was 700 cases of COVID across all of the NFL teams and not one case with the Seattle Seahawks. So there's something to be said that as long as you're taking, you know, necessary precautions, it's not to say that it's not not doable. So, you know, who's to say that at the end of this, there aren't going to be some teams that haven't been affected and were able to, you know, play while being safe. So how's it been with the wrestling? Have the wrestlers had any issue like the basketball teams have? Yeah, there's, there's been a couple of teams that have had to quarantine already, I've heard. So I don't know about um, on the East End, but I just know that, they, you know, countywide, there's been a couple of teams so far. Well, somebody had made the argument that that wrestling might have even um, because of, of MRSA and, and other things that they were maybe a little more prepared um, to, you know, to, to deal with, with the safety measures, wiping down the mats in, in between, you know, matches, that type of thing. Is that correct? But then you have to think about how kids are also much more on top of each other and in each other's face in that sport than in any other sport. So I know that that was why a lot of school districts chose to just do basketball and not wrestling because you don't have kids literally putting their face in another kid's face the entire, you know, however many minutes you're out there, so. Yeah. Wrestling's interesting. I, so I am in the process of trying to see if I can get approval to go to West Hampton's um, season opening meet at Miller Place High School on Saturday. Um, Wrestling to me is so interesting and I'm really interested to see how it plays out because I could very well be wrong about this theory, but to me, designating basketball or wrestling in different levels of risk doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So that's just my take from having observed the two sports and a doctor could come along and blow my theory out of the water. But um, I see wrestling as a little more amenable to social distancing because they can especially in practice they can kind of keep kids in these little cohorts like you don't really spar with a teammate who's not in your weight class anyway and there's never more than two kids on the mat at a time so you do kind of get in these little groups whereas in basketball that was not the case but yes at the same time you are on this mat and you are like really, really, it's not like there's occasional contact like there is in basketball. You are really literally in constant contact with each other. Um, so, you know, that's that. But I do think this idea of like the surface transmission thing, it, the, more and more, it seems like that is not, that's not what's causing like COVID spread. So, but, but wrestlers and wrestling coaches and programs hygiene and like transmission of germs is is like always part of their life my brother was a wrestler so i know how that goes <laughs> they're always thinking about that they have to i mean there was a kid from hot dog a couple of years ago who almost died of MRSA so it's on yeah. their minds constantly it's it's a thing they they already have to deal with obviously this is a different style of transmission but it is something they do think about
What are you guys working on and looking at in terms of high school sports in the next couple of weeks? Anything that you expect or can predict or want to share as far as what's coming, what's coming down the pike with this? Well, I mean, I can't say I know anything, but I think that it will be obviously interesting to see what happens. I mean, as more and more cases of these uh, teams having to quarantine pop up, I mean, I don't know how this is going to affect any other season or if it will. Um, obviously, as the numbers are declining countywide, I don't know if that's going to be something that's taken into effect as well um, when they decide what's going to happen with high-risk sports in the fall that are supposed to be happening in this spring one and then spring two where all the regular spring sports start. Um, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see and whether they're going to take a different stance if it's indoor versus outdoor because volleyball is going to be coming back and other indoor sports are still going to happen. So, I mean, it's, it's a guessing game, I think, right now for everyone, even for those at the, the top of all this. I have no idea if they are even willing to make any sort of, you know, definites here to anybody. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it'll, it'll just, it'll be interesting to say. Football would be played in the spring? Football, yes. Yeah, so what it, the way that it's breaking up is that there's like a spring one and a spring two session where all of the fall sports are getting the chance, the ones that you know were basically canceled in the beginning of this school year are gonna be moved to this spring one session and then spring two is gonna be where all of the traditional spring sports like lacrosse are gonna be played. When does the first one start? When does the, the first season start? Yeah. Um, it's in March. Okay, it's a couple weeks away. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's what they're hoping for, at least. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know exactly what they're planning on doing because originally, I mean, Suffolk County was very adamant, Section 11, on saying that we are ending February 28th and that and that is that. But now with all of this, I don't know if they're going to see about trying to find a way to extend the season because, I, I mean, it's, a, again, a guessing game right now because it's not really exactly going to be fair you know, again, using air quotes, um, in the standings when you have a team that maybe played five games and a team that only played one game because there are playoffs. So, and, you know, the top team from each league is going to be facing off against, you know, the league underneath them. And again, I don't know how they're going to try to, if they're going to try to, to make this fair for all teams and try to make sure that every team gets all their games in and then make a playoff happen. Or if they're just going to say, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, we tried and some teams failed and we move on. Maybe, maybe that's even for the better. I mean, the whole point of if you let them play, they've played, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like the playoffs thing became untenable at some point. Because just for the reasons you mentioned, it might just get to a point where the difference in the number of games some teams played just kind of makes it impossible to, to determine not just who makes the playoffs, but like where you seed them. I mean, they argue about seeding pre-COVID, and so it would be like a nightmare to try and figure that out. So I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up, if that ends up happening. Yeah, and, and originally playoffs weren't even on the table that was added after the decision to play was made because there were those parents that were, um, you know, calling incessantly and wanting right. there to be some sort of a title or a reason, you know, uh, to play these seasons, wanting to have that title at the end of it. So, yeah. You guys, someone asked more about like, was there pressure to do, do this? Why did Balone say yes? Have you met sports parents? Have you experienced sports? Like there is something about sports that just ignites people's passions. And, mm -hmm. and at any level, down from your like seven-year-old PAL coach who's like screaming at the kids to push it up through the professional levels, it is a thing. Like it just brings people's fire out. <laughs> Kind of like politics, isn't it? There's a certain similarity. That's all I'm saying about that. Yeah. I got to tell you, I'm sure I speak for all of us. I just want, I, I want everybody to be as safe as possible. And I worry too. I mean, I worry about Kayla and Desiree. I worry about you guys 
uh, going into those gyms too. And I worry about our photographers for obvious reasons. Uh, I worry about the coaches and the, the refs. And I mean, it's a dangerous time. Um, I, I understand and I feel like uh, maybe some small steps towards normalcy do have some mental health payoff for everybody too. Uh, I hope we find that balance. I hope everybody just stays safe. I think that's really the key. I feel like I'm taking my life into my hands way more when I go to Costco. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, like, where's where's the referee to tell, like, the dudes who keep the mask, like, down here to pull it up? I mean. Fair enough. But not, I, I go to Costco, man. I've, I'm, I'm brave or stupid, whatever. Or the person who's, like, breathing on your back while you're waiting online because they want to get out. Yeah. <laughs> well, stay brave, everybody. I have a feeling that this might be a conversation we're going to come back to in not a long time. I think you're right. Okay, so everyone go out there and play ball. Be safe. Be safe, please. Yay, sports. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts. 